0: Hi there ladies and gents, John Mattis here, the host of Off The Post. We'll start the show in a moment. First though, a message brought to you by Indochino, the largest made-to-measure menswear brand in the world. Indochino is making it easy to get a perfectly tailored suit at an incredible price. You can choose from hundreds of top-quality fabrics and personalize your suit just the way you want, and I'm going to tell you how it works. First, visit a showroom or shop online at indochino.com. Secondly... Pick your fabric. Thirdly, choose your customizations. And then you're going to submit your measurements. And finally, place your order, and it will arrive in the mail within a few weeks. Now, this week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $499 Canadian at Indochino.com. All you have to do is enter the code off the post at checkout. That's all one word off the post. That's up to 50% off the regular price for a made to measure premium suit. Not going to lie, pretty good deal. Plus, shipping is free. That's indochino.com, promo code off the post for any premium suit for just $499 Canadian plus free shipping. Really? It's an incredible deal for a suit that will fit you better than anything off the rack ever could. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Brennan Studehite, welcome to off the post uh, you are the president of money puck systems I'm revealing you to the world because on uh, on Twitter you your name isn't even attached to the to the handle what's going on
1: <laughs> yeah that's true yeah uh, yeah it's kind of funny actually we uh, we made a conscious choice to make it less about the people doing it and more about the business um, you know my partner and I when we started this thing we're actually pretty well-employed people uh we're not <laughs> looking for for nhl jobs uh necessarily i guess if somebody offered you something really great you might take yeah. it but uh yeah no we uh we're more interested in actually kind of doing our own thing and, and staying in the uh the private sphere so yeah <laughs> there you go
0: well am so i'm having you on today uh, and, and this is sort of a a long time coming. We, we've been talking about uh, doing this for a month or two, and, and we finally figured out a time that works. Um, well, I want to talk about the salary cap because that's your area of expertise. Um, I want to talk about the top five worst contracts in, in the league and the top five best contracts in the league. We'll both have our say on that. Um, I also want to talk about uh, the second contracts coming for Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, uh, William Nylander, Zach Wierenski, Patrick Liney. That, that, that new wave... Uh, over the next couple of years, but first let, let's talk about Money Puck Systems. So give me your elevator pitch.
1: Sure. So Money Puck Systems, what we're able to do is we're able to take <clears throat> excuse me, any metrics that you've got uh, around player performance uh, and expected you know, cap hits and, and how that changes over time, and automatically convert that into an intrinsic value for a player. So if you think back to, you know, if you've ever had your house appraised or anything and you hired an appraiser, they usually come in with multiple methods, right? Like there's the comparable method that everyone's super familiar with, where well, right. a house down the street sold for X, so mine is worth X, plus or minus, you know, because of this. Uh, but usually there's an intrinsic value too. So it's either, you know, cost of replacement or, you know, the income-based approach because you can get so much rent and you should expect a certain amount of return. And so what we really tried to do is, Develop an intrinsic method of valuation for players so you're not stuck just doing the comp-based method, right? Because there are limitations to kind of what you can do with the comp method, right? As as things change over time or, you know, the league changes, points change, or, you know, the cap changes, how does all of that get taken into account? And what our, our tool is able to do is kind of do that automatically so you don't have to, to worry about that necessarily.
0: Okay, interesting. I guess you're adding uh, more context to the situation and um, it's true where comparables become sort of the, the main talking point in the lead up to contract negotiations in the lead up to guys like Austin Matthews, eventually becoming a free agent or an RFA, I should say, and having to sign that second contract. So let's talk about him um, and what, what your perspective is on a guy like him who has taken the league by storm last year and it's clearly not a flash in, in the pan because this year after, I believe, the Leafs have played, played five games, he looks better than ever. And uh, the way I like to refer to him is that he's sort of a hockey equivalent to a five-to-a-baseball player. Like, he just he does it all. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's he, it's, it looks like he's going to continue to produce at the same level as he did last year, which was very high, 40 goals, and I believe uh, 39 assists? No, 29 assists. So... I think he ends up around 80 points, um, and he's clearly uh, the bread and butter of this Leafs team. So they're going to pay him. It's a matter of how much. And uh, I guess McDavid, with his $12.5 million contract upcoming, uh, that would be sort of the benchmark uh, on the high end. And I think uh, Jack Eichel's $10 million um, times eight eight years, which he signed recently, that would probably be uh, on the low end of... Of of sort of the range where, um, where Matthews falls in, from your perspective, and and let's keep in mind that that Matthews can't even uh, start negotiating until next July, so there's a lot of time left. But since he's uh you know such a hot topic right now, I thought we would discuss him. Right now, uh, you know, mid October, what are you thinking with Matthews and his next contract?
1: Yeah, so I, I think the key with Matthews is it's this season, right? Like this season is absolutely going to set his value. Um, Cause to your point, they're not going to want to have one of those awkward. Yeah. My RFA or my ELC rolled off and now we're going to wait all summer. Like the dry side or the Johnny Goodrill thing. I, I just don't see them wanting to have that kind of situation. So for sure. I think they negotiate this summer that, that deal. Um, and yeah, like the guys got five goals and five games or whatever to start the season. So it's, it's interesting, right? And, uh, you know, from what we've done before, we find that, uh, goals are slightly more valuable than assists. So the fact that he's, you know, got more goals than assists last year and kind of on pace to do that again this year, uh, even increases his value even a little bit more than that. So, you know, it depends on where he ends up. But, you know, from my view, I think if he gets to call it, you know, somewhere in the, in the mid eighties, maybe even 90 points with another 40 goals, uh, you know, we would see the value, so the intrinsic value of that performance to be about ten, ten and a half million a season on an eight year deal. Um the thing to keep in mind though is, you know, when players get to that level of, of talent, uh teams are willing to kind of bend the intrinsic value up a little bit because they know they can save on on the other players, right? Like they're gonna have some ELC deals, they're gonna have some other yeah. RFAs, they're gonna have fourth liners and third liners. So they tend to flex, right? So, you know, when I talk about last summer, we had a projected value for McDavid at about eleven and a half. We knew he'd get more than that. I and mean, he obviously he got twelve and a half. You know, Dry Settle we were at eight and a half, we got nine and a half. eichel we would say about eight and a half and he got ten. So, you know, getting about a million, a million and a half, maybe even two million more than kind of what we project. It's totally fair game, uh, would probably represent the market value for that player. So yeah, I don't know. I think he puts up ninety points. I, I, my guess, eleven and a half. That, you know, that's pretty. I just don't see anybody wanting to break the McDavid barrier. Um, you know, just because he's going to put up another hundred points and a hundred points and a hundred points. So, you know, you don't want to put that kind of pressure necessarily on a guy. But um, yeah, definitely something in eleven, eleven and a half for sure.
0: Yeah, I think Eichel's going to grow into his ten million per year. I think he's you know, two years from now we go, okay, this is a fair contract, but I, you know, the Sabres, what were they going to do? The guy, uh, the guy is your, your franchise cornerstone, right? So there's always that perspective, that element where GMs as much leverage as they have, because these are RFAs and they're young players that, that don't really have, uh, I guess the business leverage. They have a lot of on ice leverage where it's like, well, if you're not going to pay me, I mean you know what is your team without me that sort of uh, card so I think Eichel, Eichel getting 10 million I wasn't surprised by that McDavid 12 yeah. and a half obviously is is setting the standard very high but but a standard that he can most definitely reach and you could argue that he's already reaching that um, and I think like you mentioned Matthews season is obviously so important uh, guys don't sign deals off of their their rookie season I mean uh, there's mm-hmm. still so much more to be played, but uh, by all accounts, uh, it sounds like he's going to, at the very, very, very least, uh, be uh, be as good as as Eichel, and I think he's going to be be better personally. Uh, so you would think that that just sort of the the, the checks and balances uh, point towards him being closer to McDavid in regards to money uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to to Eichel. So the middle point would be eleven point two five. Uh, between ten and twelve and a half, so I would think he's going to trend closer to twelve than than eleven.
1: Yeah, and I think the key thing to keep in mind too, if you're if you're a Maple Leafs fan, I mean it's it's exciting to think you have one of the best players in the game, and I, and I do think they do. Um, but at the same time,
0: <laughs>
1: well, you want them to be the best players in the game, and you want them to prove it and, and do all those things. You also want them to sign the cheapest contract possible, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> The people on there that really want to push for, oh, you should get, you know, more than McDavid or something, don't, don't do that. <laughs> you know, like you, you, you want, if, you know, if your team can do what Iserman does every offseason and somehow just absolutely screws over the phase. um, you know, that is better for your team. Um, so it's kind of, I find it's a, it's a funny dynamic on, on Twitter and, and with fans, right? Because, you Know it, it, the contract value that their players sign is kind of evidence how good they are, um, and so they kind of root for big numbers. But at the same time, like if you want your team to win, <laughs> like you, you hope that somehow Lou Lamarello is a magician and keeps him at eight or something like that.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. it that's that's the uh the humorous part about you know contract negotiations and, and deals being signed is that. You're always well. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, a fan is cheering for the team to get, you know, the team-friendly deal. But I feel like the exceptions are are the McDavid's and, and are the Matthews because it's almost like a point of pride to have the the highest-paid player or to have a player that's you know in McDavid's stratosphere. That sort of thing. It's it's. But then you know, at the end of the day, this team, the Maple Leafs, they still need to fill in the spots around Matthews and. Um, If we can transition to William Nylander, he's a guy who's going to get paid as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So they have to find money for him. They have to find money for Mitch Marner. There's a couple other guys on the roster that I'm sure uh, they will consider extensions for. It's hard to say who at this moment because James Van Riemsdyk and Tyler Bozak. We'll see what happens there. But at the end of the day, you have uh, more than 20 players on your NHL roster. And uh, there's only so much of the cap space that one guy can eat up for you to uh, for it to be justifiable, and you look at Chicago, for example, you know, good for good for Patrick Kane and, and Jonathan Taves both making ten and a half per year, mm-hmm. but it's been it's been hell for Stan Bowman trying to 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 extend this, this this run of glory, to extend their, their dynastic uh, sort of decade here uh, because that, that just handcuffs you. And it's not against the players. Like, I'm more a pro player. Like, you make your money, man. You do, oh, yeah. you, you know, you're worth that money. But at the end of the day, if you're a fan, you should probably lean towards um, cheering for for a team-friendly deal or something uh, on the team, you know, team-friendly side of things.
1: Well, and the other thing you see, too, is internal comps seem to matter more um, than external comps, and it's yeah. totally irrational, and, and there's no, you know, economic justification for it, but, um, you know, you saw that with title with right, like, title at 77 points, McDavid's at 100, he wants 80% of the McDavid number. Well, that makes sense, <laughs> how are you gonna how are you going to argue that, right, um, and they kind of paid him the, the full value of that, and it kind of works that way, too, in reverse, where I remember those years with... Um, you know, Detroit, nobody makes more than Lidstrom.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: And uh, that worked out great for them, right? <laughs> like that yeah, I'm no kidding. That, that was awesome because, you know, Lidstrom was on a fairly team-friendly deal and uh, it kept everybody else there. So, you know, if you sign Matthews, say Matthews puts up 90 points or 80 points this year and Nylander and Martyr put up 70, 75. Uh, how do you give Matthews 11 and try to keep those guys at something like 8 or 9? Like it's going to be... It's, it makes it harder. Well, let's so.
0: talk. Let's talk about Nylander then, because he might actually set the set the tone for for this big three on the Leafs. I mean, he can sign any day right now. So um, mm. I'm not. It sounds like they weren't going to negotiate during the season, but you never know. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're, yeah. uh Lamorello and, and Nylander's agent aren't talking. Um, so I mean, if if he sets the bar maybe a little above market value, all of a sudden Matthews is going to be higher than market value. Uh, Marner is probably Mm -hmm. going to be higher. So I I feel like Nylander is almost the X factor here in regards to how everyone fits into uh, the grand scheme of things.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, pretty good numbers last year, right? Like 61 points is pretty solid, but that's not, you know, huge dollars. But, you know, I see him taking a step forward again this year too, right? And so if he takes a step forward, say he puts up 70, 75 points, you know, they wait to the summer to sign them. I don't know. Like, I, you know, you get the value, the intrinsic value of that, that performance is going to be another seven and a half, eight million million, um, $8 million. You know, and if you kind of go with what the market tends to do and overpay a little bit above that, you're looking at another, you know, eight and a half, nine million million, $9 million for Nylander. And like you said, like, I think that's, <laughs> that sets the bar pretty high for the rest of the guys, right?
0: Yeah, and the thing is, is let's say, everything goes as planned for Toronto and, and the expectations are pretty high in the city. Uh, you know, easily make the playoffs and have mm-hmm. some sort of playoff run, you know, to be determined how deep, but if there's still very positive vibes around the team, I mean, it wouldn't be uh, out of the realm of possibility for Nylander to get slightly overpaid just based on um, the mm-hmm. way things are going within the organization. That I, I don't know if, uh, Lamorello is the type to get caught up in that, but you do see it around the league. You, you know, you saw it with the LA Kings, and mind you, they won mm-hmm. cups. Um, Detroit Red Wings, they they won cups at one point, not recently, um, but they they get hamstrung with these contracts because they sort of get, you know, they sort of fall in love with their players and don't don't see yep. uh, the big picture or don't see uh, don't look at it objectively. Um, so I guess uh, Nelander and Marner are are to be to be determined, but I feel like. Um, Patrick Linea already has the bar set a little internally because Nick Ehlers... So, so Linea is the same as Matthews and the same as Marner, where uh, these guys can't even start negotiating until next July. So, again, uh, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens this year, but um, Nick Ehlers, his teammate, is going to make $6 million uh, over seven years. Uh, yeah. So, you you know, automatically you go, okay, he's going to make over $6 million, uh, Line, a, which isn't surprising, but... Uh, you know, how does he fall in in regards to comparing to Matthews? How does he fall in compared to Nylander? I feel like he's probably in, in the middle of those two.
1: Yeah, so, so Nick Eulers is actually kind of interesting because, you know, when we figure out his intrinsic value, right, and, uh, you know, 64 points last year, he's got seven already this year. Like, I, you know, he'll probably be in the 70s again. And so, you know, we talk about Nylander Marner probably being somewhere in the 70s and, and being worth, call it, $8 bucks. Um, pretty team friendly to have Nikolai Ehlers for, for six million. Um, I don't think they get away with that with Patrick Liney, but, you know, if he puts up, and I kind of, I project probably 75 points again, uh, for him this season with a healthy, you know, mix of goals in there, right? Which is, of course, a little bit more valuable. Um, I see his value at something like eight and a half intrinsically. So around so, dry sidle range? Yeah, exactly. And so worth about the same as Rye but how the Jets handle it, I don't know, right? Like, they managed to get a guy that I I thought was probably worth more like seven for six on his second contract. So maybe that helps them in, you know, the internal analysis, and and they get to keep Lainese for what he's worth. Maybe they get him for eight, eight and a half, Um, you know? But who knows, right? Like, if they go... I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest. Like, that's a tricky one just because of what they got. But I wouldn't be surprised at anything from 7.5 to, to 9.5 for Patrick Laine.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty wide range, especially because he scores 36 goals as a rookie, didn't play yeah. in every game. Like, he was a high producer and sort of, I mean, it's kind of hard to fly under the radar when, when you're playing for a Canadian team. But since Matthews... And it's the goals, too, right? Like, yeah.
1: Goals are just... <laughs> they attract so much more attention. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and, yeah. and let's face it, Winnipeg really really needs uh, to make him happy. I mean, he's he's going to be a, a a massive component of, of their future and of, of their success yeah. if if they do reach some sort of uh, some sort of peak. And and you know, it's it's Shifley, Line a, and mm-hmm. uh, Ehlers. That's that's the the new core. You know, you have Wheeler, you have Perot, um, you have a couple other guys in there, Little uh, up front. So they, like they have a, a solid a solid base up front uh, on the top end, but eventually those guys are, are going to hit the aging curve and, and decline. So it's up to the it's up to the line A's and Shifley's and uh, Ehlers to really uh, carry this team through the next, uh, I don't know, 7 to 10 years.
1: Yeah, and I'll say too, it, it feels like, you know, from having done this now for probably a year and a half, just looking at different contracts, certain teams seem to be just a little bit better than others at keeping their costs down. Um, the Oilers are, are terrible at it. <laughs> you know, like they just, I don't know what it is about the Oilers, but, uh, you know, everybody gets overpaid to play yeah. for the Oilers. Uh, but you know, like the Flames, the Flames are a pretty disciplined team. You know, it's hard to find anybody on that roster that's, you know, significantly overpaid. Um, and the Jets kind of feel that way too, right? With the, the eelers at six, Shifley at seven, they, they seem to be a pretty disciplined team. Um, you know, from a cost perspective. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Laney deal uh ends up being a bit of a discount or, you know, feeling like a pretty good deal. Something more like eight and a half or eight than than nine. So
0: And we talked about this uh before we press record here, but do you mind explaining how you view contracts and how you project contracts because uh mm-hmm you've brought up points a lot throughout this and that maybe a couple of people listening are going, well, there's more, you know, there's more involved than just points, you know, how's his possession numbers? Um, How is he he defensively? There's a bunch of different variables, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to take the words out of your mouth, but you, from my understanding, realized or or studied and, and, and came to this conclusion that points are so important when it comes to contract negotiations that you can't ignore it. Like, there's a, you know, you could be, uh, you know, realistic about it, or you could sort of uh, live in an ideal world where we're maybe valuing mm-hmm. players uh, more fairly. But in, in in the realistic, real world, uh, points are just everything.
1: Yeah, you know, I think someday we will we'll get to a place where you've got a, a really great, you know, uh, wins above replacement or gold above replacement model that, you know, becomes the standard for, you know, what a player's performance is. But you know, what we've done in kind of calibrating the model, if you will, like we've got, so our tool allows you to do whatever you want, just to be clear. So if if you're listening to this and you want to try it out and you're really, really big fan of, you know, uh, other metrics, we can accommodate all those different metrics. But when I look at how well do those metrics correlate to what teams actually pay for guys, it's, it's points. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of people are probably familiar with Matt Cain's work and he kind of did a, I'd say his model's more comp-based where ours is intrinsic, but his comps are, are largely based on points as well, uh, when you look at how he figures out what contracts are worth. And, and that's just the truth, right? So, you know, teams are, playing, are paying right now for points. Uh, will they eventually come to new ways of thinking about it? Uh, you know, are some other factors involved a little bit? Yeah, for sure they are. But, um, you know, if you're trying to figure out what they're worth based on what GMs are really doing... Um, our our metrics are we break it down by state. So even strength it's it's forty percent goals, sixty percent assists, power plays the same. And on penalty kill it's just how many team goals are scored against you. Um but the truth is there's not much variability there, so it's really just ice time. But uh, yeah, so we break it all down that way and, and that's how it comes about. Um and we have a really strong uh correlation to what, what actually happens out there. We predicted this summer you know, the 100 largest or, or most significant contracts that would be signed. And our R-squared, uh, when we compared it at the end, was like 80% or 0.8. So um, we do correlate quite well. And, and where we missed was a lot of the older guys, like Hemsky, Sharp, that kind of stuff. We probably should have adjusted more for their age, um, you know, and injury history. If you take those guys out, we'd be 90% plus.
0: Yeah, and and I know you mentioned Matt Cain. He he's uh, he's known in the analytics community as as a smart guy and and someone who obviously um, thinks the game in a, in a more complex manner than probably uh, his model suggested. But he threw out this model and all these all these uh, projections, and he had some very close calls. He had some right on the money. So I, I think you you guys at money puck systems and, and Matt Cain both looked at it realistically. And I, I, it's funny, right? You, there's sort of two, two parts of your brain working the one that's going, well, it should be this way. And you're sort of yelling like, why is it not this way? And then there's the other one, the rational side going, this is just the world we live in where points are, are everything.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of the advanced stats are, yeah, I shouldn't generalize with this stuff. I think it roasted on Twitter for it, but, uh, a lot of the advanced stats are more about the process, right? right. Like if you think about yeah. shot attempts, uh, shot attempts are the things that create goals. You're really trying to measure goals, right? Because goals equal wins. Like, that's really what you're trying to measure. But you're saying, you know, there's too small a sample size on goals, and there's lots of volatility and shooting percentage and things like that. So the process underlying goals is taking lots of quality shots, right? And so a lot of the metrics are based on the process, whereas the goals are the result, right? And what we're seeing at this point, and that's why you see guys, by the way, get overpaid when they have a really high shooting percentage here. Right? You get a guy who shoots 15-16%, which you know they're not going to keep doing, but some are yeah. paying for it. Um, and so, you know, right now, the way the league is set up, you get paid for results, you don't get paid for the process. Um, I think that's probably slowly changing over time, but if you want to actually predict accurately what what uh, <laughs> teams are going to do, you're going to want to use points right now.
0: Well, and before we move on to to worst and best contracts in the league, do you have a number for Zach Werenski? Him and I do. And the Blue Jackets can't start negotiating till next July, so again, uh, we'll see what mm-hmm. happens this year. But um, and before you have uh, your guess. Uh, my comparable seems to be Ivan Provorov, and, and they're both uh, RFAs at the same time. But I think, you know, once the one guy signs, the other guy's going to sign for something similar. Um, yeah. And Warensky off what I've seen so far, is probably around $7 million. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Uh, so we figured he'll put up about the same number of points in the 50-point range. And if he does that, we've got him worth seven and a half.
0: Okay. We're on yeah, the same page.
1: Yeah, same page. What I find a little bit, though, I'll say is offensive defensemen uh, in our model don't quite get as much. I think what teams are doing is they're shifting. Maybe they know something I don't know, or they're, they are incorporating some defensive metrics in there. Um, but they seem to push a few dollars to defensive defensemen, so they tend to get a little less in their worth. So I wouldn't be surprised if Zach was more like a six, six and a half interesting Uh, when he ultimately signs that deal but I think he's worth seven and a half
0: okay let's transition to uh the worst contracts in the league and and I must have uh, an opening rant here that I went to go do this and and mind you I I I sent you the topic so it's totally my fault but I went to go do the worst contracts I'm looking at every team and, and trying to figure it out and I just started making a list and I honestly had 20 that I could pick from that could oh, be know. that could be in the top five. So you know, narrowing it down it was <laughs> was sort of arbitrary. I'm just like, well, this guy is you know his contract's longer, so you know he's mm-hmm. you know he's more of a detriment. That sort of thing. Like, um, there's a lot of bad contracts out there. But give give me one of the worst ones in the league uh, from your perspective.
1: Uh, so I'm almost afraid to say it out loud. Um, Let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> I know it's gonna be controversial. Um. But both on kind of the the amount he's overpaid on an annual basis and because of the length of the contract, uh, I honestly, I think Jonathan Taves is the worst contract in the league. Wow. Yeah, and I, and I hate to say it, but the guy put up 58 points last year, 58 points the year before, and he makes $10.5 million. Like, that's Jordan Everleigh numbers. Like... You know, like 58 points. Uh, and he's got six more years left at that price. So, you know, you talk about the, the Blackhawks. Honestly, when I saw those contracts get signed like, a couple years ago or whatever it was, uh, I told everybody at the time, they're done. Like, I don't think they can, I don't think they're going to win another cup because they've over allocated to those two guys. And, you know, they did really well in the regular season last year, but obviously first round exit. I, I think they're window closed, honestly, when those contracts, because, his value to me uh, for the remainder of that contract is only—he's a six and a half million dollar player, uh, getting ten and a half. So he's getting four million extra that you can't pay to anybody else on that roster, right? Like that's—that's that's a pretty big loss on a single individual contract, and it's for six more years. And he's twenty-nine. So at the end of that contract, I bet you he's the tail off even worse. So. <laughs> so bold to say maybe but i just i can't there's nothing no. else like on the loss per contract overall he's a 25 million dollar six-year loss and that's the biggest by quite a bit
0: you know what i i kind of skimmed over tapes because i went straight to brent seabrook on the <laughs> on the chicago page <laughs> <Yeah>. of, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and i should note uh <laughs> big big uh, big thanks to catfriendly.com because without them i don't know what we would do in, in regards to discussions yeah. about this. Um, Seabrook's contract uh, is, is similar to Taves in, in the mm-hmm. sense that they're locked up long-term. Obviously, get, they're getting older. Everyone gets older. But they, they didn't sign it when they were super young. Uh, he's going to be in his late 30s when it expires. And he's getting paid $6.875 million per year. Mm-hmm. And right now, he's I don't know. I didn't really think about this beforehand, but off the top of my head, he's probably, if you're, if you're putting a value on what he's worth right now, this second, he's not even, he's probably a $3 million player, a four. I don't really know. And and that's now it's only going to get worse. Right. So, and he has a no movement clause till 2022. And then after that, he has a modified, no trade until 2024. So it's like, they are locked into Brent Seabrook at this, at this price. Um, and in truth, Seabrook lags behind Keith, behind Kane, behind Taves, behind Crawford, in my opinion, in regards to impact on winning.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing – so I've got Seabrook on my list too, <laughs> of course.
0: Well, that's good. At least we got uh, one. Yeah, one. well,
1: he's not in my top five. I was not in my top five quite. But, um, yeah, I, right now he, he still plays a fair amount, right? So last year he was playing was that, 22 minutes a night. And so – because he plays enough minutes, like, it's kind of like the uh, the Chris Russell deal, and a lot of people didn't like that deal, but, you know, he plays the minutes. It's, you know, my analogy for it was, you know, you've hired a guy, and you've given him the job duties of a, of a manager position, and, you know, because they're doing the job, you put them on the ice as if they're, you know, a top four player. Uh, how do you then say, well, actually, you're not? <laughs> so I know you manage all these people for us, but you're not really a manager because, you know, whatever. Uh You can't quite do it. And so I'd argue that Seabrook's still probably four and a half million a year at this point, maybe, you know what I mean? Like just, yeah, just purely based on the minutes. Um So gets power play time, right? Like you got 2.7 minutes a game in power play time last year. So he's, he's hanging on with some value today. I'm with you though, like the decline's gonna happen one of these days and when it does, it's gonna make it really, really ugly. But just because of the way he hangs on, um I've only he's only I call him two million ish overpaid at the moment, which is bad. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, it's bad and it's gonna get worse. Um uh, but there's to your point, there's a lot of bad ones. <laughs> so he didn't quite crack my top five.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let let's keep the star power going. Um Anze Kopitar's contract, oh, I yeah? have, I have in my top five because, and nothing against Anze Kopitar. I actually think he's he's uh, one of the better players <laughs> in the world. Maybe I don't know where I would put him, top thirty, top twenty, somewhere in there. But he's getting paid ten million. He's only in the second year of that, and he's already thirty years old. Um, you know, it's it's so much of the cap to to devote to to a guy who's not in the realm of you know of Kane, McDavid. Uh, Carry Price—that sort of, you know, a layer of a lead, if that makes sense. Um, it's just one of those honor contracts that that has kind of gone wrong, right? They win. Oh, yeah. It's sort of similar to to Seabrook and, and Taves, where they have so much success, the GM just wants to, you know, pat them on the back and and well, mm-hmm. you know, maybe drop off a couple bags of money. Yeah? But um, it it just it hurts to to look at because. He's a good player. He's worth a, a lot of money, but just not this much. It's a, it's a really tough pill to swallow when uh, the contract's going to end and he's going to be around 35, still making $10 million.
1: Yeah, and so he was actually number two on my list as well. Um, and this is one of those things, and I, I should have said it with tape too, but you can have a great hockey player. And they're still overpaid. You know, what I mean, like those are two yep. different things. And and I see it on <laughs> Twitter all the time where you say somebody's overpaid, and then they're like, "Well, he's such a great player." He is. Don't get me wrong. Anze Kopitar is a is a great hockey player. He had a down year last year, right? He had a you know eight percent shooting percentage with his career's twelve. Yeah, that's not him, him last year. Points. He's
0: he's somewhere in the yeah. middle of, of you know probably ten percent, and the points will come, yeah. but he's never going to be. At the ten million dollar no, right? level, at least at this so, point in his in his in his career, right?
1: A hundred percent, right? So, you know, when I look at him, um, and I kind of give him some credit that say, you know what, last year I kinda washed it a little bit, kind of push him out for seven years, see what that's worth. Like he's still a seven and a half million dollar guy. You know what I mean? Like that's nothing to sniff at. Like that's that's a heck of a hockey player. He's one of the best players in the league, right? Um but yeah, ten million 10 million that, you know that's just a no. You know that's, that's too much. Um, and then the age thing, you know, it gets you every time, right? Because I think somebody did it, and I can't remember who. It's too bad. But uh, you know, peak scoring for a forward in the NHL is at 23, right? Yeah. Um, and um, most of them are just hitting kind of UFA by that point, right? And so they get paid big contracts at 23, and then maybe they hold on a little bit and they get another one at you know their late 20s. And that's just one of these deals, right, where Kopitar was I think twenty eight maybe when he signed this deal and it's all downhill from there, right? So he's a he's a great player, um, but he's gonna taper off and he's already two and a half million overpaid. Like I see him being like the net present value, if you will, of that contract is probably minus twenty million dollars.
0: Well so. and just to piggyback on your point. Um, with with overpayment. So if you look at Jordan Stahl with, with the Carolina Hurricanes, so he makes $6 million. You could make a strong argument that he's overpaid, but not by a ton. Well, you can go, okay, that's justifiable. You know, Jordan Stahl, very good hockey player. Okay, we'll, we'll fork over a million or two more. Like, that's fine. But when it's when it creeps up and, and, and those one or two million turn into three or four, that's when, when the issue comes in. And also, if we're talking about term, um if you're looking at the Sedin twins in, in Vancouver yeah. they're not on my list because they just have one year left so I'm going yeah. this is your last year of 7 million per player um yeah, I obviously in a in the tunnel vision in, in the in the short term not good deals but they're off your books soon so that's why I didn't include those type of guys I also didn't yeah. include uh David Bolin uh you know no. David Clarkson cuz they're they serve a purpose they're there to eat up cap space Joffrey Lupo, Nathan Horton—they don't really count because they're they're on LTIR. So I had a bunch of uh, sort of criteria. Um,
1: yeah, I had a few. I I'd call them honorable mentions. Um, you know, like the, like Rick Nash, right? So he's at seven point eight. What did he put up last year? Let's see here. Injury ridden, but thirty eight and thirty six the last two seasons. Um, but yeah, one year deal, right? Like there's only one year left on Rick Nash, so whatever. Yeah, you get <laughs> four that. million dollars overpaid, but at least it's only for a season. And the same with Thornton, right? Like that eight million dollar. I don't even. I'm, I mean, I get it, right? Like they didn't. They lost Marlowe. They didn't want to lose Thornton too, and so whatever. Just and he's been a, a fixture of the front. It's kind of a thank you contract, right? So I, I call those honorable mentions because they're bad, <laughs> but they don't really hurt the team the same way.
0: Yeah, and I, so I had a top five. I didn't really uh, spend too much time organizing, uh, you know, ranking it specifically. I just had a group. But also, yeah. it was so hard to to trim down the, the top 20 that, you know, yeah. I, I used a poster child for, for certain types of players. So within my top five, I have Andrew Ladd, uh, New York mm-hmm. Islanders, six years at 5.5 million per I consider him an overvalued gritty veteran and guys that fall into that same category Justin Abdelkader and Brandon Dubinsky those are those three contracts are fairly comparable kind of similar players who don't yeah. produce a ton they they have value but not enough to justify the type of money that they're getting paid um yeah, and I think true. lads like probably the Luchich worst Luchich too, Yeah you could put leaf Luch- yeah. yeah the thing with Cheech is that he is a good like I guess they're all they're all quality NHLers, but it's just it's the number and 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 also sometimes a term. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly right. Like all those deals are <laughs> if we start to go down the they're overpaid. Like because I, I think Lad, if if he could keep playing like he is, he's getting older too, right? He'd be worth now. I'm projecting just talking about four and a half million, so he's overpaid by a million and a half, and it'll probably get worse in the back part of the contract. Um, but man, there's i don't know 30 of those deals out there yeah
0: well i, I see lad in it you know the fact that he has so much term left that that's the main thing yeah. and then you look at 5.5 you're like "Ooh, this is a bad one um yeah what about uh zach parise that's got to be in everyone's top five
1: yeah that was that was number four on my list <laughs> so um yeah like what did zach put up last year so zach had 53 points two years ago, 42 last year. He's 33 years old with eight years left. And even if he could keep putting up 50 points a year uh, for the remainder of the eight year deal, he'd only be worth five and a half and he gets seven and a half. So you're at least a $2 million overpayment every single year for eight years. And at the back half it's probably like four million dollars overpaid, and then when he retires early, he get on the recapture. So yeah, yeah, that one's pretty bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, him and that, those matching deals that Ryan Souter and Zach Parise yeah. signed, uh they just they that's gone horribly wrong. Uh, Suter you can justify to an extent, but he's in the same yeah, boat at the
1: Dean Man, he's not gonna drop off quite as fast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a chance he's playing at thirty eight, thirty nine years old and doing okay. But yeah, like a forward, a smaller one too. I just that's gonna that's a
0: tough one. And a guy who's battled injuries. Um, yeah. And if we can circle back to the the Canucks and the Sedin's, their uh, they're flavor of the week uh, third third member uh, last year, Louis Erickson mm. gets signed to to this deal five years, uh, six million per is what he has left. Um, I mean, it, it, there's a couple guys who fall into this. Uh, into this category sort of, you know, have that one big year. And then a team just really wants to, to grab them off off, of free agency and slot them into their lineup. And they just end up sort of uh, not being able to control themselves in the negotiation (laughs) or, 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 you know, Erickson obviously had some leverage, right. But at the end of the day, it's a pretty bad contract. Um, He hasn't done much since he's been in Vancouver and uh, they have him for for a while here at six million, and, and no move until two, 2020 and then a modified no trade until twenty twenty two. It's 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 something that that's gonna hurt them. Uh, I mean, they're rebuilding, so I guess having one or two bad contracts is not the end of the world, but
1: yeah. And when I, you know, when they signed that one, he's coming off sixty three point season, right? Uh, you know, again, you know, I think we mentioned it earlier. He he shot 16.3% that year. (laughs) Um, and then he, he regressed super hard. Like, like, 24 points last year, you know, shortened campaign, only played 65 games, shot 8.3%. So half of his shooting percentage from the year before. Um, I don't know. Like, he's one of those guys he probably could have contributed, uh, you know, 5 million in value to the team. Uh, it just didn't work out, right? Like it was, it wasn't a good gamble necessarily. Like it was kind of a known, I'm paying too much and I'm giving them a little too much term, but it worked out even worse than that, right? Like it, <laughs> you know, um, cause it, you know, to me it wasn't all that much different than say the the Lute, Luteach deal um, where, okay, yeah, it's too much term and then maybe it's a tiny bit too much money. Um, but, you know, hopefully get a, a few good years out of them, right? Maybe, you know, three or four good years. And, yeah, when the first year of the contract ends up being 24 points.
0: Yeah, I think um, it's just more so the fact that they, like, targeted him to be the Sidine's, you know, third member, and then it just completely uh, yeah. implodes. And then you're like, well, can you produce on another line? And then he doesn't. And, it, I mean, like, again, with all these contracts, I guess they all have a chance to redeem themselves. But at this point, this Louis Erickson deal does not look pretty.
1: Yeah, well, and actually, that's his look looking here, and uh, through the first four games, his ice time is down to like twelve minutes a night, so they yeah. <laughs> really shuffled him down the order like that. But yeah, it doesn't. At least they're they are going to be rebuilding here for the next little bit, so not not like a it's not catastrophic to their Stanley Cup chances.
0: I'll let you uh, finish your top five, but I have a couple guesses um, before okay. you start. Are Dion Phaneuf
1: or Bobby Ryan? Uh, one of the oh, players. Oh, okay, yeah. So Bobby <laughs> Ryan's fifth, <laughs> and I don't even—I don't even feel bad saying it because he knows it. <laughs> I just—I loved that when uh, I don't know the expansion draft, and uh, he wasn't protected by Ottawa, and he's like, "I'm not going anywhere." <laughs> like, not it's good to be self-aware, <laughs> right? Uh, and it's another one of those like, he's okay. He's an okay player, right? Like he's an okay player uh, when he put up. Yeah, injury shortened, but 56 points two years, 25 last year. Um, he's worth four and a half million, probably something in that range, uh, for the duration of the deal. But yeah, seven and a quarter. <laughs> like, yeah, there's no doubt that uh, Vegas wasn't going to take that, uh, that contract on, right? And, and you see that, like, at least I got to give, you know, NHL GM a lot of credit on this one. When they see a big negative value contract, uh, I think they do the correct thing in decreasing the player's hockey value. Yes. Right? Because you're looking at Bobby Ryan. You can acquire Bobby Ryan, who's a pretty good player, uh, for for nothing. It literally doesn't cost you anything but the opportunity cost to pick somebody else. Um, and they correctly avoid it because he's a negative you know, contract value. Um, and you saw the same thing with Luongo. I remember when they were trying to trade Luongo, and Luongo was – Still a good goaltender. He still had a lot of good years. He played pretty good for Florida uh, when they finally did trade him. But the trade value had gone down so far, and you know you see it too with um, even Jordan Everlay and Taylor Hall with the Oilers, where the contracts were a little too rich, maybe, um, and therefore, you know, the trade value that you can get back decreases. And so, yeah, Bobby Ryan is. You know, and he's an even extreme example of that, right? Like if you're losing two, two point $3 dollars a year uh, on that contract, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's that's tough. Well, and I, I just think it, 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 makes matters so much worse when you look down their cap-friendly page and you see Dion Phaneuf at four more years at seven million. It's like these two guys are taking up so much cap space, and they're yeah. they're NHL players. They're useful, but I mean that money could be. Spent on on who like, especially with yeah. the senators who, um, you know, are infamously known as 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 an internal cap team. Like, I don't know how yeah. how they get around this and how they uh, continue to acquire talent when these two guys are holding down so much money.
1: Yeah, and yeah, that's that's totally true, and, and they're still they're doing quite well. <laughs> surprising, you know enough with with having a couple pretty heavy boat anchors on there, um, but. You know, and we'll get to it later. But you know, one of the most underpaid players, in my opinion, is is Eric Carlson. So he <laughs> makes up a big difference on that.
0: Yeah, let let's get to uh, the underpaid in in a second. But uh, are there any other contracts that you just you know briefly want to throw out there as as uh, sort of abominations?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say abominations. Well, so so for now, if we want to just finish that thought, uh, I got him as a four and a half, maybe five million dollar guy getting paid seven. He actually doesn't crack my top 5 though. Uh just cuz only a 4-year contract <laughs> at this point. It would have been really bad in early days. Um but at this point with only 4 years left it's not quite as bad as some of the others. Um Yeah, the ter- so term makes the, a big last, difference. Yeah, the term exactly makes it makes a huge difference at the end of it. Uh but the last guy who cracks my top 5 there is actually uh, Jakub Borchek. And again, not a bad player. 56 points last year is pretty respectable. Um, but at eight and a quarter, uh, he's probably only worth six. And so, and there's seven years left on that deal. Right. So 28 years old, maybe he can kind of bounce back a little bit. I don't know. Um, three years removed from 78 points. If he gets back there to 78 points, it'll be fine. Um, but I'm kind of suspicious and I'm thinking maybe 55, 60 points is where he's going to be. And if he sticks around there, he's worth six. Um, you know, and if you're paying him two and a quarter too much times seven years, I mean that's a fourteen million dollar negative cap hit over that time period. So, he he makes my last top five, even though you know, wouldn't say it's the worst contract ever. It's just that term, right? When you when you overpaid by more than two million bucks, and it's seven or eight more years, that's those are the tough ones.
0: Well, and a good example of, of term uh, being the uh, the X factor or the difference maker. On Detroit's blue line, they have Jonathan Erickson and Danny DeKaiser. Both bad contracts, but Erickson's is three years at 4.25. Danny DeKaiser's at five years left, 5 million. I mean, like, yeah. who are you going to take? You're going to take Erickson 10 times out of 10. All day. Right? And so that makes a difference. And then another thing that I uh, valued was, was injury. So Marion Gabryk, four years at 4.875. Like, he's always injured. How is he ever going to live up to that? Um, yeah. And then there's you know there's the the bruisers like Cal Clutterbuck five years at three point five million, him and Casey Cizikas he's also at, at three point five million and four years. So I mean we could spend all day on this like I said, but there's there's so many sort of uh, different uh, mistakes out there like like if they're if they're overvaluing toughness, overvaluing. Uh, Maybe maybe a, a scorer that's past his prime, or or a guy who had one thirty goal season. It's and and I don't necessarily blame GMs because they're in a tough spot, and and sometimes mm-hmm. they're trying to save their own job by doing something knee jerk. Um, so there's always that aspect, or maybe the 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 player just has a good agent, <laughs> and somehow in the yep. negotiation convinces the team that the player is better than he is. Right, so.
1: Um, Yeah, like I'm a big fan of, I don't know if you've ever looked at uh, behavioral economics and and things like that, right, where these guys have, it's a fairly recent field of of study, but um, they talk about how, because economic theory basically, I don't know, had a finance background or any kind of courses in it, but it assumes everybody's rational, right? So we talk about like economics and, and all that stuff. The underlying assumption is everyone's actually perfectly rational. And behavioral economics takes in well. We know they're not. (laughs) Like
0: it's pretty easy
1: to go out in the world and say, uh, no, people aren't rational. Emotional (laughs) decisions. I just saw somebody buy a six pack of toilet paper that costs more than the three pack. How how do you you know, how does (laughs) that fit in (laughs) in economic theory? Right? Like it doesn't make any sense. Um and so they talk about a couple of things and I think what really trips the things I notice uh when I'm looking at these bad contracts is one of the, the key ones is recency bias. Right. So guy coming off a really good season, high shooting percentage, you look at the tape probably. And you know, you're like, yeah, he's going to score those goals all day long. Like I know his shooting percentage is high, but he, he did it right. Like, and so I, I'm assuming he's going to be able to continue to do it. And so you get the recency bias in there and then you end up paying a little bit too much. And then the other one that I, I notice a lot of is the endowment effect. And it's the idea of once you have something, you all of a sudden value it more. Mm-hmm right? You know, there's an experiment or something. And they had these stupid little, like, university-logoed cups, and they gave them this. So they asked these students to play a game. At the end of the game, they had to buy these cups, right? So they had to give them the, the money for the cup. Or they flipped the experiment over, and then they said, okay, here's the cup, or you can take the money. And the dramatic difference between uh, once they had that cup in their hands, they, they wouldn't trade it back for the money. But if they didn't have the cup in their hands, you know, they wouldn't pay for it either, right? It was like, there's an attachment one there. and then 80% the, other. yeah, like it's crazy, like human behavior and, and the fact that those biases creep into a lot of stuff. Um, and, and I see that with contracts, right? Like I, they just fall in love with their guy, right? Like I can't help but think that Milan Lucic doesn't get the contract he got in Edmonton if it wasn't Shirelli.
0: Yeah, well, that's right, a great like, example. He,
1: he loved the guy because he's had the guy, and you know what I mean. Like, you can see those kinds of things happen.
0: Okay, so. let's let's talk about uh, the best contracts out there, and we're excluding uh, entry level contracts because obviously, uh, Connor McDavid's right now or Austin Matthews would <laughs> yeah, would, would win year, yeah. this by by a mile. Um, <laughs> he sure would. And and you in going through this exercise, you know the the worst and the best it applies to. Mm-hmm there's smart teams out there and there's dumb teams out there. Like I'm going to start with Nikita Kucherov's deal. It was not a surprise that Steve Iserman of all people uh, was able to pull off the bridge deal. Uh, It was three years at 14.3 million. And I understand that, that since he signed it, he has just gone off and and scored literally. uh, I believe if you count this season, he's close to 50 goals. Uh, And, and, you know, I, I understand he didn't have arbitration rights, uh, and I understand that the Lightning has some sort of culture of of buying in, in into this this idea of everyone sort of taking less, i.e., uh, Steven Stamkos and, and other players. Um, but I mean, Kucherov is getting paid way below what he what he should be getting paid. He's the best player on their team. He's so dynamic, so sneaky. Uh, he's, he's so threatening. That that's that's a word that that I that I hang on to when I think of Kucherov. I just think like whenever he has a puck or even if he's near the puck, like something dangerous is going to happen. And he's shown it this, this season, 10 points in six games. And uh, to, to, to add to, to the, to the, to the situation, he's only 24. Like this guy is, yeah. is like, I mean, I guess you could say he's in his prime now, but like, it's not like they signed him uh, to a bridge deal when, when he was, when he was exiting his prime or something. So um, as of now, he, he, he's a great bargain. He's going to get paid, obviously, uh, when his deal comes up, and we'll see what happens there. But he was he was high on my list of, of best bargains.
1: Yeah, yeah, number two on my list for sure.
0: <laughs> so who'd you have, number one?
1: Uh, Roman Yossi.
0: Okay, yeah, he's on my list too.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I gave him the nod to number one just because he's got three years left instead of two. Yeah. Like the only the only complaint about that Gutrov deal is it wasn't long enough. <laughs> How long could you have locked a man at that price? <laughs> well, and I guess I guess
0: that's that's where his agent comes in and goes, "Hold on, guys. Like, I want to do a bridge deal here. I don't want him to sacrifice,
1: uh, you know, more years yeah, of his prime." But it's still a miracle of contract negotiations yeah. that one because yeah, you got RFA status and some teams grind out players. So you know, like say Johnny Goudreau, right? Like, probably gets. $8 million as a free agent coming off a 70-something point season, uh, you know, signed for, what was it, 6, seven, 5, I think. Um, that's a heck of a deal. Like, that was a good deal. that They got some leverage out of their RFA years. Um, but nobody else does that. Like, the you know, with stars that put up, like, Kucherov had 85 points last year. Um, when you're at that level, they just kind of skipped that. And I think the others maybe started it with, you know, Taylor Hall and, Everlay and Nugent Hopkins, where they, they kind of just put them right to $6 million, which was free agent pricing at the time. Um, but since then, like, yeah, look at McDavid, look what we are talking about for Matthews and for Dreisaitl and Eichel and all those guys. They go right to pretty much free agent pricing on their second deals when they're that level, that, that amount of skilled. You don't get to bridge them. And if you did bridge them, you'd still pay in full market value. Um, so the fact that they were able to bridge them at four point seven, million <laughs> is just... It's amazing. Um, and then we'll see. Uh, and what do you lose, right? Like, the argument is, oh, he's going to get paid more now when he comes off that three years. But if you were going to pay him free agent pricing in the first anyway, you know what I mean? Like, you didn't lose anything, yeah. in my opinion, unless you lose the player you, or you sour the relationship or something. But I don't know. He's not playing like he's a soured player.
0: No, absolutely not. <laughs> Another guy who, uh, and and a different situation. Uh, Mark Scheifele, he's going to yeah. really grow into this contract. Uh, eight years, forty nine million. So that's six point one two five million per. Yeah. Uh, one of the top centers in the game already. So the sky's the limit with him. And uh, you alluded to it earlier in the show, where Winnipeg maybe has a handle on on how to. Uh, I don't know if it's convince players to take less money, but but some sort of there's something going on there where they figured out to get some loyalty out of, out of Shifley and, and line and Ehlers. And yeah, I don't, sure. I don't know me at the same time, uh, shovel day signed him before, uh, he really broke out. Like last season you could argue was, was, was when Shifley became a household name, similar to Kucherov. Um, and, and since Kucherov plays in Tampa, a lot less people know who he is, but, um, I think Shifley, that contract was a great example of of a GM taking a risk with a young, promising player.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's what the Oilers kept hoping they were going to do, right? <laughs> when they when they did theirs, they had those guys, and you know, I think they signed Everlay when he put up seventy six points, and then he kind of dipped, right? Where it's yeah. kind of been the opposite for the for the Shifley contract because he was at put up fifty, and then sixty one, and then eighty two, right? So he's kind of kept going and getting better and. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's worth. If you had to re-sign that contract, uh, seven years, he's worth, in my opinion, like eight and a half. And then you probably end to pay him a little more, like we were talking about earlier. So, I mean, that's probably a three million dollar less than you'd have to pay kind of contract right now. So and seven years long.
0: <laughs> let's hear uh, the rest of your list as we as we wrap up here. I've I've said my piece. Uh, I would imagine, though, to to lead into your list, uh, Mr. Sidney Crosby's on it.
1: Uh, doesn't crack the top five, but yeah, he's in there for sure. Um, the only thing that bothers me a little bit is he is 30 and he's got eight yeah. years left. Um, but right now, I mean, if you're going to send him right now, he's McDavid value, right? So at least for the next three or four years of it. Um, but yeah, he's in the top 10 for sure. That's such a great value. And, and it actually, you know, another thing I kind of talk about fairly often is I actually think for the Oilers because of the contracts work and how the cap keeps going up every year it's the back part of those contracts. When you look at like Malcolm's on the back half of his nine and a half Crosby kind of signed a yeah. sweetheart deal before things really inflated. Um, it's when those guys start to get undervalued uh, in their later part of the contract, when the window really opens for them to be like, I think the penguins have three or four more years left in a cup winning window. Like they might actually, actually be a dynasty. Um, you know, where they win three cups inside of five years or something like that. So Very possible. Um I you know, I think that's unfortunately for the Oilers, I think they're gonna struggle here for the next few years because they've committed so much, but I think the window truly opens on years five, six, seven, eight of the McDavid deal. Um but but anyway, so I digress. Uh the other guys, Roman Yossi, I mean I love that contract. <clears throat> Sixty one points two years ago, fifty points as a defenseman last year. Uh, only makes four million dollars. Uh, you know he'd be worth seven and a half on the open market right now on on a three year deal, which is too bad for them that that's all he's got left. But uh, you know, great deal. Eric Carlson, man, like that guy. I don't know. Is he, <laughs> You
0: know, is he, he your produces. Is he your number three best player in the world? If it goes, uh, you know, decide on Cros- Crosby McDavid. Let's say they're tied. Is number three uh, Eric Carlson? Yeah.
1: Oh, For sure. And, and I don't know. There might be an argument to be made that he is the most valuable player in the world. Um, just in the sense of when you look at, so when I look at a forward, the average NHL centerman, I think, puts in 1.6 or 1.7 points per 60 minutes. And Crosby and McDavid are, are like almost double that, right? Like they're 3.2, three points per 60 minutes. That's pretty impressive. They're, they're twice as prolific at scoring than the average centerman. But Eric Carlson's like three times better at scoring than the average defenseman. And I don't think he gives up anything defensively. Like you can make the case that maybe Brent Burns can't be trusted defensively and so he puts up lots of points, but really he's kind of a fourth forward out there. You know, I've heard things like that said. I don't think he can argue that with Carlson. I think he plays a really solid defensive game. He doesn't give anything up. He's on the ice way more than McDavid and uh, Crosby can be, just given the nature of the defensive position. I don't know, like, <laughs> you know, when you okay. run him in the tool, he is, he is prolific, um, you know, he, when he signs his new deal, if he signs more than McDavid, I would be okay with it, he won't, right, just the way that the the market works, would mm-hmm. be somewhere underneath McDavid, but I'd have no trouble giving that guy the max, like, it's crazy how much he produces, Isn't and would the... you would give up, if he, if he dropped out of the roster, would you be able to replace those points, no, no, no chance.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at their playoff run and and what they accomplished. You take Carlson out of the equation, maybe they get swept in the first round instead of going, uh, you know, to within a goal of the Stanley Cup final. Like it's that, it's that impactful what he, what he does and what he's able to to bring every night. And and you hit on a big point that like this guy plays thirty minutes a night. Uh, let, you know, not every night, but, but, you know, <laughs> come playoff time, he does when he's on the ice, half, half the game. That's, that's, that's a massive plus versus say, like you said, McDavid or Crosby. They're, they're not taking as many shifts. So uh, you yeah. lose a bit of value there. Um, is there anyone else you want to touch on?
1: Um, you know, I'll just quickly mention, uh, so I got Yossi, Kutra, Carlton, John Klingberg's got a great deal, four and a quarter for five yes. years, put up. You know, 49, 58 points, probably worth seven million dollars. Not a household name. I don't think you can get it necessarily, but you know the value he provides is pretty huge. So you know, you three million dollar a year, give or take, savings on that contract. Um, and then yeah, Mark Shifley rounds out the top five there. I'll give special special mention to kind of Cam Atkinson's contract's pretty good. The Blake Wheeler deal is good. Another Jet, Justin Falk, pretty solid. Clefbaum in Edmonton. I'll, I'll give him credit for that one.
0: <laughs> oh, finally, uh, some uh, some Oilers love.
1: Yeah, that's like that's their one kind of value contract at the moment. Um, yeah, JVR's deal pretty cheap. He's going to get a raise, I suspect, and probably a different team. I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, most likely. Um, Tyler Sagan, five point seven five. Only two years left on it, so it, it kind of reduces the value. But that's a pretty good one. Um, and then Malkin, Malkin, Jeff Skinner, those guys, all pretty good deals.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of like we mention all the all the bad contracts. There's a lot of good ones out there too that sort of you know, we talk about way less because it's it's just fun to to get upset or, or, or to to banter about about the, the terrible contracts that, that GM's managed to uh, convince themselves to to, well, to have the player actually, sign.
1: Yeah, that's how it started this thing to be honest. It was a, it was a year and a half ago, almost two years I guess. At a Christmas party and a friend of mine's a Leaf fan and uh he's just he was going off on that it's enough contract being so terrible and it's such a bad contract. And I'm like, well, how do you even know that? And I'm like, how do you even know that it's a bad contract? Well, you know, this guy makes this and he's better and this guy makes this. And it's like, yeah, he just cherry picked like two kind of older contracts to use his comps that, you know, and I'm like, I don't, like, what do you think he's worth then? And it, it was a hard question for him to answer as a fan, uh, even though he's a pretty fat, passionate sports fan. And, he's, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm picking comps as, You know, you got to adjust for all those things now. So you pick this comp, but it was, you know, the cap was this at the time, and you got to do all that stuff. And he said, "Well," and I'm like, "I'm not even sure comps are the best way to do it. Like, there's got to be a a more fundamental way to do it, right? When people are complaining about contracts, and so um, yeah, that's how we got started, actually, arguing about Dion Phaneuf's contract. I mean, Uh, he's over. That's how all all great things.
0: (laughs) That's how all great things start, right? When you're arguing about uh, double Dion Phaneuf. Yeah. So t- tell tell the listeners about Money Puck Systems. How can they find it online? How can they find your Twitter? And what exactly does the tool do?
1: Yeah, so what we've got right now is uh, you can find us at Money Puck Sys uh, on Twitter. That's, that's where we're the most active. We'll, okay. we'll make comments on all the contracts. Anybody gets signed. Anybody who's rumored to sign. Uh, if you're you know looking for our opinion on it, we're, we're on Twitter constantly tweeting all of that stuff. So it's pretty good. Encourage you to follow us if you can. Uh, Otherwise, you know, we write a blog on our website, but you can also sign up for the tool. And so we're looking for, at this point in the game, you know, ultimately how we probably make money on this or or do something in the future is, you know, doing some consulting work or, or doing different things for teams or agents or whoever. Um, but at this point, we're really just looking to, you know, expand the number of users we have and, and the people who are looking at our stuff and, and help make us better, right? So if you want to sign up for the tool, it's all open access right now. Uh, if you want to find kind of the, the metrics we use so you can kind of recreate what we've done, um, but it's all there, right? Like it's, a, it's definitely a very powerful tool at the moment uh, that, you know, is meant for kind of a... If you really want to forecast out, you want to get nitty-gritty and say, I can think he's going to put up this, and he's going to do that, and he's going to do this, you can run all sorts of scenarios and, and kind of try it out. And We'd love for as many people as possible to be trying our tool and, and helping us you know, provide feedback and make it better. So.
0: Awesome. Uh, thanks, yeah. Brandon. I, I appreciate you coming on, and we'll have you on uh, a couple months down the road, probably.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.